Hi, my name is Becky Bray, and I'm a member here. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we, how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epirus, who is one of you, a servant of God, Jesus greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Y'all can take a seat. Becky, thank you for reading the most challenging of passages that we find in Colossians. Um, The pronunciation of those names was was better than I read them in my head, so thank you. Um, Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I am the other pastor here at Redeemer. Um, Before we get into Colossians, I want to answer two questions. So there's probably a couple of things that you've been wondering as you've been coming to services here. Um, I'm going to address a what and a why. First, the what. What is next? Becky just read the last 12 verses of Colossians, so we're ending our Colossians series today. It's been a great 19 or 20 weeks. I get mixed up. COVID does something to your understanding of time, so just forgive me, but for the last 20 or so uh, Sundays that we've been going through Colossians, uh, we're finishing today. Uh, Thank you for joining us on that journey. Yeah, thank you. That's our our first preaching series that we're ending um, today, and we're looking ahead we're excited. And so um, next week, we will begin an eight-week series in Mark. We're going to just do the first chapter and a half or so of Mark as we um, walk through observing the season of Lent together. Now, Lent uh, in the Christian tradition is this season where we follow Jesus out into the wilderness. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted Right? The author of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are so that he can be sympathetic to our suffering, so that he could be sympathetic to our temptations and our weakness. But Jesus withstood every temptation for us. And so when we observe Lent, we don't go out into the wilderness with him to tempt ourselves. We go out into the wilderness to empty ourselves, to be filled with him. And so Colossians actually is going to lead straight into um, this short Mark series, because what we're doing in Colossians is we're elevating Jesus, only Jesus, 
You see that? See what we did there? We're elevating only Jesus as the object of our faith. Now, what do we do with that? We believe in Jesus. What do we do now? Well, the first words of Christ in Mark's gospel, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. I've come. The Messiah is here. Repent and believe. Jesus says, I'm doing it all. The only thing I need you to do is repent. Turn from your ways and turn to me. Repent and believe is one of the primary themes of Mark. And so we're going to continue looking to Jesus as we go into Lent using the first chapter and a half or so of Mark. And so we'll spend eight weeks there. When we're done with that, we're going to move into Joshua. Now, this leads into my next question. Why? So that's our what. The next question, why? Why do we preach through books? Why don't we do topical series on marriage or parenting or being a student, or what do I do with my finances? Well, we believe that all of those questions are answered in the full counsel of Scripture. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Jesus himself, at the end of the gospel account of Luke, says, all of scripture points towards me. And he walks his disciples through that and their eyes are open and they're blown away and then the church grows. The gospel is spread through the ends of the earth. Jesus shows his church that all of scripture points to him. And he's referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so we, we believe in the full counsel of God's word. Old Testament, New Testament, a combined message that God is doing something through his son, Jesus, for our good and his glory, okay? So because we believe in the authority of scripture, what uh, Paul says to Timothy in, in his second letter to Timothy, because we believe in the full counsel of God's scripture and its authority, uh, Brian and I have just said, you know what? We're just gonna follow Jesus through, through the books. Um, we're gonna depend on what the spirit has to say in his word as he reveals himself to us. And we're just asking you to join us. It's like we're saying, follow us while we follow Jesus, okay? Now, our job is not to master the science and the art of pastoring and preaching. That's not our our job. That's something that we do is, is to get better at it. But our job is to shepherd you towards Jesus, And because God has chosen to reveal his son Jesus through his word, that's how we choose to do it, okay? Um, I hope that that answers a lot of your questions about why we preach this way. We've um, gotten a lot of positive feedback that you guys love preaching through books. I'm grateful for that. I know that we also have questions uh, in our own lives. How do I be a student and follow Jesus? How How do I be surrounded by temptation How do I um, remain faithful in my marriage that is so hard? We all have questions in our life. How do I worship God while I work? But we believe um, that God has designed his word to answer these questions for us, okay? Um, Because, now we'll get into uh, introducing our Colossians passage. Because uh, we believe in in the, the authority of scripture and that all scripture 
has meaning. We're not going to skip over anything. So we're not going to skip over these last 12 verses of Colossians. How many times I've read this and just like breeze through, okay, Tychicus, whatever, can't pronounce that name. Uh, keep going. Grace be with you. Okay, I'm done with Colossians. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. But we put this in here. Originally, um, we had it broken up into like three or four different sermons to really emphasize and draw out the meaning that there's no wasted words. All scripture has meaning. Um, but we ended up just really wanting to lump this all together into one message. And so these last 12 verses have something for us. And I believe that what the Spirit is leading us to see this morning is that first, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And that we as believers, we as Christians, Jesus followers, disciples of Christ, we remain healthy when we're a part of the local church. We remain healthy when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, like Brian was saying in our time of confession this morning. We remain healthy when our eyes are focused on Jesus and the Holy Spirit works in us. We depend on him. Healthy things grow in part. Not, not the fullness of our health is wound up in, in being a part of church. That is a major aspect. There's more to it. But what we have today is the local church. So, um, before I became a pastor, I taught for six years. So three of those were um, junior high, and then three of those were high school. And while I taught high school, I taught biology. Just take a deep breath. I know many of us have strong feelings about biology. I'm about to say a word that may cause some reaction. We studied something called cell reproduction. Another name for that is mitosis. Okay, now don't show that slide just yet. I don't want to shock everybody. Cell reproduction, mitosis. Okay, we're all good. I didn't see anybody lose consciousness. So I know that depending on, on the uh, biology teacher that you had, that might determine how you feel about certain biology topics. My students had a strong aversion to mitosis, probably because there's something very similar, meiosis, and they couldn't figure out between the two, and that was a major deal. I don't know. But um, let's go ahead and show the slide. What I want to show you today is that healthy things grow. What you see here is a picture of onion root cells. So every September, we'd get to this point in, in biology, and I'd, on my way to school, grab a bunch of green onions from the grocery store, run over to uh, the lab, and we would chop them up with a scalpel. There's something about freshman students that, like, anytime they get a chance to use a scalpel, they just become different people. And so we were chopping up um, onion roots, and that's what these are, and we were able to see that inside the onion roots, you're able to see all these cells at different stages of their life cycle. How cool is that? That right next to each other, we can have one cell that is just starting to form a nucleus next to another cell that is divide, actively dividing into two different cells. One cell is a brand new baby cell. The other one is about to multiply. Ends of the spectrum of their life stage. This organism is a healthy organism. And the church functions in much the same way. Okay, let's get that slide off before um, people start making noise. Um, 
I, I have heard it all when it comes to mitosis, so I just, I just want to be sensitive to any flashbacks. I think I'm probably the one that's going to have the most flashbacks, but um, what's important for us to see is that healthy things grow. The reason that a plant in any organism goes through mitosis is to grow. The church acts the same way. The church functions like an organism in that when it's healthy, it grows. There's no formula for growth. There's no method or strategy that we can tap into or figure out and try really hard to get a hold of for growth. The Spirit gives the growth. Jesus says in John 6, the flesh is no help at all. The Spirit does the work. Okay? So um, when we look at our lives as believers and we wonder, how do I grow? I believe in Jesus. How do I grow? My oldest son asked me the other night, He said, Dad, I know I'm a Christian. I trust in Jesus. Incredible confession for your six-year-old son to make. Immediately, I mean, I was holding it together. Almost brought me to tears just then. But he said, I know I'm a Christian. I trust Jesus. But I don't know how to follow him. I think one of the biggest differences between kids and adults is that we've just learned how to hide and pretend better. That's a level of honesty that we don't get in in our, our adult circles. I trust Jesus. I just don't know how to follow him. And so what we have in our text today, a primary method for following Jesus is to be connected to the local body, okay? Let's look at Colossians 1. I wanna point out, one way that Paul prays, and then we're going to go back to Colossians 4 and point out one way that Epaphras prays. And the reason, I'm going to use a lot of Colossians text because as we're wrapping up, this final greeting is done in the context of the whole book, the whole letter that Paul writes, okay? We're wrapping up our series. It's, it's a good conclusion for us to go through and talk about all the things that we've, that we've uh, talked about over the last 20 weeks. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Listen to what Paul prays for as he's praying for the maturity and the growth of the Colossian church. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Here it is, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Now skip down to verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Flip over to verse, uh, chapter four. Verse 12, Epaphras is the pastor of the Colossian church. This is what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Praying for what? That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Notice that in the midst of the growth that we see in verses 3 through 6, Paul says, the gospel is spreading, the church is growing all throughout the world, all in Colossae. It's growing in Laodicea, in Ephesus, in Hierapolis. It's growing. They're not praying for growth. 
They're praying for the maturity of the church. They're praying for the growth of the church. And how does he, how does he measure that? How does he, what, what's he saying we attain growth by? Knowledge of Jesus. That we may stand assured and mature in the knowledge of the will of God. And Paul prays for all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You also see it again in Ephesians 2. Go back and read that after you get home. All spiritual wisdom and understanding. The whole book of Colossians is about putting only Jesus in this position of our worship, of our knowledge, of our our wills. Only Jesus is worthy of our lives being lived for him. Um, the, the picture that we see in the Colossian church and beyond, Paul mentions a, a few different cities. We, a lot of times I think we can confuse this and start to, to put connections between what's happening in the first century church um, and that, that that was just for them. We're like, man, the gospel just exploded and we don't, we, we pretend to see like that, that's not for us today. We think that um, our circumstances are different because we're in 2022, we're in San Angelo, the church is just a lot different, the Holy Spirit moves in different ways. And what I want to, to urge you to see here is that Redeemer San Angelo and all of the church in San Angelo, because we're just a part of the body here, we're not separate, we're not the church Okay, we are a small C, little part of the whole body of San Angelo. So we will be united with the rest of the church in San Angelo. And what we see here is that we are cut from the same cloth as Paul and the Colossian church. We are a continuation of what the Holy Spirit did in the first century. The gospel made it to the ends of the earth because it made it to San Angelo, Texas. The same gospel that Paul preached to Epaphras in Ephesus, that then Epaphras took from Ephesus into Colossae and preached it to his own people. That gospel spread like wildfire, came to San Angelo at some point, and churches were planted. And we're not done. God did not call um, my wife and I and Brian and Kirstie here to, to just like build up this, this little one, one family and then retire 30 years later. That's not the point. We want to see growth in you as individuals. We want to see growth in the, the, the church of San Angelo. Our hope is that by making disciples out of all of you, you would go and make disciples in your circles, that we would as individuals grow, and that as you grow, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in your lives, makes disciples at your workplace, in your next door neighbors, in your families, and that more and more people come to the church, not just Redeemer, other churches in town, and we get so overwhelmed that we can't not plant more churches. I have a capacity. Brian has a capacity. We can't pastor the whole city of San Angelo. We need more leaders, more church planters. The goal of planting a church is to keep planting churches. We want to plant a church in Ballinger, in Miles, in Christoval, 
north side San Angelo, west side San Angelo, all over San Angelo, all over West Texas and beyond. Because we truly believe that it's the gospel that does the work of growth and multiplication in the lives of believers. We truly believe that only Jesus saves and we truly believe, we'll see here in just a second, we truly believe that it is possible to reject him and the future of those who reject him is not bright. That wasn't in my notes, but we continue. Um, I want to point out, again, healthy things grow. So what makes the church in Colossians healthy? And what makes, what makes it possible for us to then grow and multiply? What makes it possible for us to be healthy? How does being a part of the local body lead to health and then growth and multiplication? How does that happen? Well, um, Let's look first at Colossians 1, 19 through 22. This is just the plain gospel. When we say the word gospel, we mean the good news of Jesus, that there was something that changed the course of history forever, that changed our lives forever, and it's all bound up in the person and the work of Jesus. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then Paul says, well, let me rephrase that. Let me say this again. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Once alienated, separated, that word is like helplessly separated. When I was a kid, um, back when Kmart was a thing, y'all remember Kmart? We had a Kmart here, and my mom took me to Kmart, uh, and my parents, and my mom said, okay, she told my dad, you gotta, you gotta keep your eye on him. And I'm the sneaky little kid that got away from my dad and they couldn't find me. And I'm sitting at the register and my mom tells me that I wasn't afraid. I, I believe her, but me now, I'm like, I, I could not, thinking about as a kid, what am I doing in Kmart by myself? Terrified, right? Um, so it's this idea of our parents aren't even in Kmart. They're not even in San Angelo. They're... They're not even on planet Earth, but we're stuck here, separated from them. And like, like my parents say that, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying hanging out with the cashiers, talking on the, the little microphone. We're enjoying that. Hostile in mind towards God, separated from him. Didn't even know that we needed salvation. And he saved us. He reconciled us. He came after us. That's the gospel. And it wasn't just like that Jesus came down from heaven and was like, okay, you're all forgiven. He died. He let himself be hung on a cross to make peace between us and God. This is the gospel. If, if you have not turned from your sin and believed in this message, 
Now is your chance. Repent and believe. If you have, you don't get to graduate from that. You don't then say, okay, Jesus got me in. Now I get to mature myself. I've got to work so hard. I've got to study the Bible. I've got to pray every day. I've got to listen to dwell. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I've got to go disciple my friends. All of those things are not bad things. Those are good things. Those are fruit things. Those are things that we do when our, our motivations and our desires change. But those are not things that make us Christian. You can do Christian things and not be Christian. That's a scary thought. That terrified me for years. But we, when we maintain our lives, remain on the truth of only Jesus, never graduating from it, why do we read scripture? Because we need Jesus. Why do we pray? Because we need Jesus. Why are we a part of the church? Because we need Jesus. Not because those things make us Christian. Not because those things make us not separated from God now. Going to church, reading my Bible, that reconciles me. No. We are a part of the church because we need Jesus. Um, let's look down. Let's, I gotta turn to chapter four. Let's look down at uh, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Demas shows up one other place in Scripture, and it's not good news for Demas. 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, we don't know that um, Demas, uh, if he maintained his faith in Christ or if he turned from the faith. But what Paul says, he says, he abandoned me. He left the, the mission field because he loved this world. That's all we need to know. Demas found something else to be captivated by. So he left. In Revelation chapter three, the church in Laodicea gets probably the harshest rebuke in Revelation from Jesus himself. Jesus says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you don't hate me, you don't love me. You just find me neutral. What, somebody really famous and smart, I can't remember who it is, said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. The Laodicean church was just apathetic about Jesus. They found other things like bank accounts and Roman gods and gladiators. They found other things to be just as important, just as worthy of their devotion and loyalty, just as worthy of their attention. But what does Paul say in Colossians 3, 1 through 2? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What, what was the rebuke against Demas and against the Laodicean church? They had their minds and therefore their hearts on things that were on earth. So we're elevating other things to equal status with Jesus and intentionally or unintentionally, 
that diminishes Christ because he doesn't belong on equal footing with anything else. He's the only thing that saved us. He's the only thing that's transformed us. He's the only thing that made peace between us and God. In John 15.4, you've heard us, and we go on and on about John 15.4. John 14 through 17, 13 through 17, is, it could be my favorite few chapters in all of Scripture. Um, I'm sure that there's just going to become more and more that, that wells up in me about those chapters. But in particular, John 15, 4, Jesus says that our role as Christians is abiding in him. This keeping our minds on things above where Christ is, that's abiding in him. Are we perfect at that? Like my son said, Dad, I, I know I trust Jesus. I just don't know how to follow him. That's a, an honest confession of, I fail a lot. I like retribution when my brother breaks my Legos. Um, I like to throw dirt in my sister's face. But it's an honest confession that I know my mind should be elsewhere. I know my mind should be with Jesus. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to stay there. So when Jesus tells us that our role as Christians is to abide. Now we'll look, we're, we're going to go backwards into chapter 2, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. As you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So we, we talked about how the walk of a, a Christian is we're imitating somebody. And Paul says here, walk in Christ. This language that he's using is when you're following somebody, you want to walk like them and talk like them. You want to be like that person. Walking in Christ is imitating Christ. And we know who Christ is because we get scripture. And so that's an important aspect of abiding in Christ. Know and obey scripture. We can't know Jesus without knowing scripture. God has chosen to reveal to us himself in its fullness in God the Father, Spirit, and Son, all in Scripture. And Jesus says the very same thing at the end of Luke. So we abide in Jesus through prayer. We abide in Jesus through Scripture. Uh, I skipped over prayer. Last week, we talked about pray, celebrate, go. Um, do y'all remember the threefold structure of prayer? Does anybody remember that? Pop quiz. Ask, listen, worship. If, if prayer comes hard to you, I feel like a lot of times it comes hard to me, just remember, simply ask, listen, worship. We cannot know Jesus without talking to him. You can't know your friends without talking to him. You can't know your spouse or your children without talking to them. I want to focus in on this third um, aspect of abiding in Jesus uh, that we see in these last 12 verses of Colossians, the local church. So when Paul says, walk in him, but like my son, we remember we can't always do that. We know healthy things should grow, but I'm in a season right now and I'm just not, I'm not growing I feel dry. I feel like I'm in a dead season. Is it, does that feel familiar? Does that sound familiar? Okay, 
you don't have to talk about all the things that you should be doing. Just, there's a, the hymn that was written in, in 1922, Helen Lamell. She's got a pretty fascinating story. She wrote this hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Everything else just fades away. The more we turn our eyes to Christ, the more the Spirit changes our hearts. He produces the growth in us. Okay, um, Colossians 4.15, Paul says, hey, greet Nympha and also the church in her house. What that's saying is that the church's people, we talked about that earlier, the church's people, the, this event is not church. This building is not church. You cannot go to church. You are a part of the church. Our identity in Christ is wound up together as his people, his body. We together, those of us who put our faith in Christ, that makes us family. We are the church. It doesn't matter if we're in this building or we're in the parking lot or we're down by the river. We are the church. Whether we're in Nympha's house or in Laodicea, the people of God, the people of Jesus is the church. Now, I'm gonna connect abiding in Jesus, so the object of our faith, Jesus, to the church with two scriptures. We'll look at Acts 9.4. Paul, um, this same Paul that's writing this letter, preaching the gospel, planting churches, this same Paul was murdering Christians not many years before this. He was seeking out to arrest and throw in prison the people that were proclaiming Jesus as Christ. But the gospel captivated his heart and transformed him. He didn't do that. The growth in Paul's life didn't happen on his own. He didn't figure it out. Jesus revealed himself. He turned his eyes to Jesus, quite literally, and was blinded. And the rest of his life is different. But when Jesus called Paul from persecuting the church, he said, Paul, why are you, why are you murdering me? Why are you persecuting me? In, in a sentence, Jesus connects himself with his people. The second point of that, that um, the point I'm making, John 15, 4, when Jesus says, abide in me, he says, and I will abide in you. When we put our faith in Christ, the spirit of Christ dwells in us. And so we see this connection between the people of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Doesn't it make sense that in order for you to know Jesus and grow in him, you must be connected to him through the church? We were made, we were designed for Christ-centered fellowship. We were designed for community with other believers, other Christians, let me, let me phrase it in this way. You've probably heard me say this before. We were made for gospel friendships. Now, I'm gonna use some of the names here to show why. First of all, we need Jesus in gospel friendships like Onesimus needed Tychicus. The story of Onesimus, he was a runaway slave. He disobeyed his master and feared for his life, so he ran away. So double jeopardy there. He ran away 
And then he ran into Paul by not, no coincidence. This is the Holy Spirit. He ran into Paul. Paul preached the gospel to him and sent him back home. He didn't say, okay, now go live a life somewhere else. He said, no, go be reconciled. Because Paul also knew that the master of Onesimus was Philemon, who was also a Christian. And he implored, Paul implored Philemon, receive your brother, a slave, now a brother of his master. He says, receive your brother. We need Jesus in gospel friendships like Onesimus needed Tychicus to be at his side when he returned home with a brand new identity. Onesimus needed Tychicus all the way home to remind him, hey man, you're not a slave anymore. You're a brother. You are in Christ. You're a slave to Jesus, not a slave to Philemon. He needed Tychicus to remind him of his identity in Christ, just like we need each other to remind us that we are chosen, holy, and beloved. I forget on a daily basis. So when I'm in my office working on my sermon and Brian comes in and says, hey, you're chosen, holy, and loved. I need that. We need Jesus in gospel friendships like Paul needed the comfort of three dear friends when he felt the most isolated and abused. There's a beatitude that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Happy, favored, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The comfort of Christ is better than the absence of grief. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Paul received comfort from his brothers. He didn't say that he, got, he just got comfort just from meditating. He said, my brothers brought me much comfort because it was Christ in them ministering to Paul. We need Jesus in gospel friendships because we need to pray and be prayed for, like Epaphras prayed for the church that he pastored. In the midst of being tempted and led astray into a false gospel of elevating so much up to the status of Jesus. Remember, they were, they were tempted not just to add multiple religions to Christ, but to count themselves worthy, like this gospel of self, that I can find comfort and pleasure. I can find satisfaction. And I can find that by my own means. The Colossian church was being tempted in this way, and Epaphras prayed deeply for their maturity. We need the prayers of our brothers and sisters for our maturity, and they need our prayers. We need gospel friendships because we need Jesus. Where there is the one true gospel of only Jesus, there is a healthy church. Where there is a healthy church, there is gospel friendships. And where there are gospel friendships, there's healthy gospel growth. Now, I talked earlier about um, <clears throat> how we desire to plant more churches. We desire to make more disciples that you would multiply in your workplace. That's not adding to your to-do list. How do we accomplish that goal of planting churches and making disciples? We remain in Jesus. We let him do the work in us. We let the Holy Spirit bear the fruit. We remain in Jesus. This is why we take communion together. So we've got tables in the back. We've got a table up front. Ben, you guys can go ahead and come up. We take communion together because we need the reminder from one another 
that all we need is Jesus. It's also why communion is reserved for the church. Because we've tasted and we've seen of the goodness of God in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And so we take the bread, broken for the forgiveness of sins. We take it and we eat. And we take the cup of the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sin to bring you back to God in peace with him. We take it and we drink. We do this together as a church every week to remind each other, to remind one another that all we need is only Jesus and he does the rest for us. We are not passive participants, remember. We have a role in the church, but it begins and ends with abiding in Jesus. Holy Father, we are grateful to you for your son. We know exactly where we would be without him. We would be hostile to you. We would be alienated and separated from you. We'd be left to our own devices, just trying to find wholeness and satisfaction in whatever we could muster, whatever we could strive for and figure out. But God, in your infinite wisdom, in your mercy, in your grace, in your goodness, you yourself came to earth to save us so that we didn't have to strive anymore, that we didn't have to do all the religious things, that we didn't have to work hard for our bank accounts to be good enough. We didn't have to work hard enough for the the people that, that say words against us that we're not enough, that we'll never amount to anything. God, regardless of the, the, the way that the world sees us, we are in Christ because you sent him to unite us back to yourself. And so God, we worship you this morning. We lift up the name of your son, Jesus, because of what he's done for us. And we ask you to hold us close. Keep our minds focused on you. Keep our hearts devoted to you, God. Let us be a part of this church that you've built and you've designed for our flourishing. 